Well, again, I want to say good morning to those who are watching online and those who are here in our building. Let me remind you that September the 12th is a big day for our church. It's a step of faith for us. We don't know what's going to happen. We're going to two services at 9, 15, 11 o'clock. And uh, we want to give people options. We, I do know there are people that, for whatever the reason, they want to come to an 11 o'clock service. They're not coming to an early service. And so we're just trying to do everything that we can to really get our church moving forward again and doing what God wants us to do. And we've already talked and made it very plain. There's no substitute for being in God's house with God's people on God's day. And so I want to invite you, number one, to put that on your calendar if you haven't been coming or if you haven't. If you've been coming here, you know, more, if before the COVID, you said, you know, I was at 11 o'clock service. Well, you can go back to 11 o'clock. All we're asking you to do is one simple thing. You have to have a ticket to get in, and that's somebody with you. Bring somebody with you. Do not bring Mickey Methodist and Peter Presbyterian. That's not who we're after, okay? We want people that aren't going anywhere or people that used to come and they're not coming. And so everybody knows somebody you can bring, and I want to ask you to do that. A few years ago, Sports Illustrated published an article about the great basketball coaches of the last 50 or 60 years. And when all the legends were considered, it became very crystal clear that there was one coach that stood above everybody and probably will always stand above everybody. They said he was the greatest of all time. And if you know anything about college basketball, you know who it was. It was John Wooden. He was nicknamed the Wizard of Westwood. And when you look at his record, and I had the privilege of growing up during this time and watching his great teams, it's phenomenal. In 12 years, they won the NCAA championship 10 times, 10 times in 12 years. They won seven in a row. Imagine that, they won seven NCAA championships in a row. Now, if you don't know much about basketball, no other team in the history of college basketball has won more than four in a row. Within that same period, his team at one time won 88 consecutive games, 88. He won the prestigious Henry Iba Award as the National Coach of the Year a record seven times. He won the Associated Press Coach of the Year Award five times. And he was the first man ever to make it into both the College Basketball Hall of Fame as a player and as a coach. Great coach, the greatest of all time. And yet by his own admission, Coach Wooden said, that what set him apart as a coach, and if there was any secret to the greatness, it wasn't the big things he accomplished, it was the small things that he did. He was holding a coach's conference one time, and he said, you men want to win championships? He said, let me just remind you of something. Paying attention to the small things that others overlook or underestimate makes the difference between champions and near champions. Now, some of you may know this story, so I, I, you know, spoiler alert, some of you may know it, but a lot of you don't, and every time I read this, it blows my mind. I'm a big Coach Wooden fan. I've got all of his books. I've read all of his books. He had a thing called the Pyramid of Success, which is just unbelievable, but let me tell you this story about Coach Wooden. Every year when their team would meet for the first time to get ready for the season, he always started right off the bat with a personal demonstration. Now, the demonstration was not about how to dribble a basketball, or how to shoot a basketball, or how to pass a basketball, or how to dunk a basketball, or how to catch a basketball. He would get all of these five-star All-American recruits that he had, like 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I could just name so many others, Bill Walton. He'd get all these guys, and they'd be on the court. He'd have them sit down, and the very first thing he would teach these players, you ready for this? He would teach them how to put on their socks. I'm not making this up. That was the first thing. Did it for 35, 40 years. He would teach them how to put on their socks. You say, why in the world would he do this? Let me let him say it in his own words. I would demonstrate for the players and then have the players demonstrate for me. So he would put on socks. He'd say, now you do it. This may seem like a nuisance. I had a very practical reason for, him, for, for being meticulous about this. Wrinkles, folds, and creases can cause blisters. Blisters interfere with performance during practice and games. These seemingly trivial matters taken together and added to many, many other so-called trivial matters build into something very big, namely your success. I'm reading a fascinating book right now. If you like books and you like books that are really interesting, the title of the book is The Power of Small, Why Little Things Make All the Difference. And this book talks about how little things in history cause great events to take place. And the truth of the matter is the word small, if you want to be honest, it gets a bad rap. It really does. We don't like the word small. We don't want it. We want big. We want great. We want grand. We want awesome. We don't want small. And yet that little word is actually one of the most powerful words in the English language. I'll give you an example. Let's just take two little small words in the English language, just two. A two-little word, no, and a three-little word, yes. Has it ever occurred to you that those two words spoken at just the right time, at just the right place, to just the right person, can absolutely, eternally, radically change your life? I asked Teresa to marry me on the second date. Her first mistake was to say no. <laughs> but she rectified it by later saying, two weeks, about a month later, she said yes. But the reason why she said yes was because a guy she started dating for two weeks straight before she said yes, she had to tell him no. So I'm married today because both of a no, she said, and a Yes, that we should, she said. Now, at our church, we believe unashamedly that that word small is very, very important. We believe in our church that word is a big, big word. As a matter of fact, that little word small is central to what we do as a church. It's one of our four strategies, our core strategies for making disciples. We believe in the overlooked power of what we call small groups. There was a time I didn't care for that name, but I've actually fallen in love with it. And what I want to show you today is why there's nothing small about small groups. And how committing to one may be the biggest and the best thing you do for your spiritual walk. And by the way, before I get into this sermon, if you're already checking out yourself, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to hear a sermon about small groups. Let me tell you why you need to listen. If you think I'm overhyping this idea, it didn't come from me. It came from Jesus. So I want to take you back 2,000 years. Jesus is beginning his ministry. Now, he's not only man, he's also God. And Jesus knows the game clock is ticking. 
He knows he's only got three years to accomplish the greatest assignment anyone's ever been given in the history of the world. Jesus, you've got three years to become the Savior of the world, to become the founder of the church, and to become the leader of followers who haven't even been born yet. Three years. Go by like a flash. So what is the first thing Jesus does? Now you would think, he'd say, man, I've, just got, I've only got three years. I better start healing as many sick people as I can. Or, or I better start clothing as many poor people as I can. Or I better start feeding as many hungry people as I can. Or I better start preaching to as many lost people as I can. You would think that's the first thing he does. It's not. The very first thing he does, he forms a small group of 12 men. You kidding me? No. That's the first thing he does. As a matter of fact, that is the center of his strategy. That is the foundation of his ministry. That's where he's going to spend most of his time. He spent more time in his three years with a small group of 12 men teaching them, mentoring them, modeling for them, and encouraging them than anything else he did. And by the way, did it ever pay off? Because the seed that he sows for three years in the four Gospels in the lives of 12 men, that seed exploded with magnificent fruit in the book of Acts. Because in one day, the Christian movement in one day went from 120 people to 3,000 people. And when you read the book of Acts, the number of disciples just kept exploding. Churches continued expanding. Christianity continued to spread like wildfire. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, keep in mind, let's go back. Let's look at the early church. What was the early church? It wasn't a church like this. It wasn't a church like any other church in the world today. You know what the early church was? Just a conglomeration of small groups that just met everywhere and anywhere. Because remember, when you read the book of Acts, when you read how the church got started, there were no church buildings. There, was, there were no worship centers like this. There were no parking lots. There were no nurseries. There was no property. There was very little money. As a matter of fact, there is no record of any church building ever built until the third century A.D. So for over 200 years, the church never had a church building. Well, you say, well, then where do they meet? Where did they worship together? Where did they come together? Where did they fellowship together? And how did they manage to keep it together? They did it in small groups. And out of that, they learn and are teaching us even today a very, very important lesson. The way to grow any church bigger is to continuously treat, shrink the church smaller. The way to grow any church bigger is to continuously shrink any church Church, a church smaller. So I want you to turn, if you brought a copy of God's Word, or you want to look on in your phone or iPad or whatever, I want you to turn to a book called Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts in the New Testament. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And what you're going to see is a snapshot. This is like a picture of a small group, what a small group did, how a small group functioned. And by the way, you'll see why this was the secret sauce. This was the key to the success of the early church. And here's what I'm going to do today. At least I'm going to try. I want to show you the picture of a small group in the early church. And I want to show you what that small group did. 
why all of us need to be in a small group and what happens when we join one. Ready? Three things. Number one, we mature spiritually through small groups. We mature spiritually through small groups. Now, here we read Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, I want you to notice something right off the bat. From the very beginning, Jesus has just ascended to heaven. Christianity is just getting started. It's just getting off the ground. And yet, from the very, very beginning, this early church is committed to doing life together. They understood they needed each other. They were to be there for each other. There was no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. This is so important to grasp. And listen, I'm going to make a statement right now. And I hope all of you will take it very, very seriously. Because to be very honest, whether you're watching online right now, you're in this building, too many of you don't take seriously what I'm about to say. The early church was not only committed to Christ. They were committed to other Christians. They weren't just committed to Christ. They were committed to other Christians. I'll give you a good example. When you get married, you're not just marrying a husband. You're marrying into his family. When you get married, you're not just marrying to a wife. You're marrying into her family. And this, this early church, they were not just committed to a personal, private relationship with God. They were committed to this mutual, spiritual fellowship with each other. And I want you to notice how strong this language is. They didn't just casually come together. Listen now. They didn't just get together when they had nothing else to do, when there was nothing else on their social calendar. This wasn't the last thing on their to-do list. Listen to these words one more time. They, would you say those two words with me? Let's say it real loud. Yeah, they devoted themselves. They put it on their calendar. It was top of their to-do list. They made a commitment. We're going to devote ourselves to fellowship. This was not a preference for the early church. This was a priority. I mean, the early Christians, they couldn't even conceive of a Christian not being in a small group. It wasn't even on their radar screen that you wouldn't be in community, that you wouldn't be in fellowship with other Christians. They never thought of spiritual growth as something you do only as an individual. They said, no, no, no. We've got to do this with other believers. In other words, for them, Christianity was never a do-it-yourself project. It was a do-it-together journey. We've got to be in this together. Now, I know what some of you are asking right now, and I'm going to give you an honest answer to the question. Can I grow spiritually without being in a small group? Can I grow spiritually without ever being in a small group? I'm not going to lie. Yes, you can grow spiritually without being in a small group. But I'll also tell you this, only to a limited extent. Because it's almost impossible to know how much you're growing, how fast you're growing, and how well you're growing unless you're growing in a small group. I'll give you an example. We're about to start football. How many of you ready for college football to start? Everybody raise your hand. What do you like? That's right. That's right. Okay. Y'all pray for my dogs. Big game. Y'all really put that next to September the 12th. That's your next prayer item. Okay. 
So I was reading this morning about their scrimmage. They had their last scrimmage yesterday. Now I'm excited about who's going to start and who's going to be. We're going to be ready to play and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And let me tell you why I'm so excited. I went to practice about two weeks ago. I was invited to go to, it was a close, but I got to go to practice. Can I be honest? I didn't stay for the whole practice. I, it's okay, but it's not a game. I want the game to start. And let me tell you why. Now we're going to find out how good my dogs are. Now you're going to find out how good your team is. Because you don't find out how good you are when you're scrimmaging against each other. You find out how good you are when you play somebody else. Same way about basketball. You know, you get out on a basketball court. I play basketball. You can shoot that rock all day long. But you'll find out what kind of a shooter you are when somebody's got a hand in your face. And somebody's trying to block that shot. That's when you find out, okay, this is how good I am. You may think you're a good baseball player, but you'll never know how good a hitter you are until you face a real pitcher. Not a batting practice pitcher, a real pitcher. There's something challenging about being in a group of Christians where you see how other people are growing spiritually. And there's something encouraging when an other group sees how you are growing and how you can grow together. And listen, it is important that others know you're growing spiritually, and it is important that you show others that you are growing spiritually. So, I don't want to be misunderstood. No, you don't need to be in a group to study the Bible. You don't need to be in a group to pray. You don't need to be in a group to eat. You can study the Bible on your own. You can read the Bible by yourself. There's a lot of apps on your Bible. You can do your own Bible study. But that will never give you the mutual fellowship and the mutual encouragement and the mutual teaching and the mutual discussion and most of all, the ability to both influence other people with your spiritual growth and to be influenced by their spiritual growth. We mature spiritually through small groups. Here's the second thing that happens when you get into a small group. We minister relationally through small groups. We mature spiritually through small groups. We minister relationally. Now listen to what we read. Listen to this verse. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. I underscored a word there, and I did it on purpose. Three times you read it, together, together, together. Everything they did, they did together. They ate meals together. They met in homes together. They, they, they worshiped together. They prayed together together. They discussed the Word of God together. They, they, bore, they, they took their problems to each other together. And by the way, this is something you do need to remember, please. When you read the Bible, no matter whether you're reading about Moses, Joseph, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, or people that aren't even named, they were all people just like us. Same needs. And it takes time to build friendships. It takes time to construct meaningful relationships. You know, you say, well, gosh, how did they get comfortable always being together? Because that's where they really got to know each other. See, this is what I, some of you people don't ever, ever, ever understand. I'm glad you came to church this morning. I hope we'll come in, I hope we really will come back strong on September the 12th. And I, I look forward to this hour with you every single week. It is the highlight of my week. But if all you ever do all you ever do is come to this church and sit in this building for one hour. If that's all you ever do, 
You'll never get to know anybody else in this church. You will never get to encourage other people in this church. Yeah, you can walk in. You can take your seat. You can sing the songs. You can listen to the message. You can take the notes, and you can leave. And if that's all you ever do, you will never, ever get to know any other believer on an intimate, friendly basis like you should. And you know what's even worse? You never get to give them the encouragement that you could give them that nobody else can, and you'll never get to get to receive the encouragement they could give you that no one else can. By the way, the reverse is also true. Other believers will never be able to get to know you better unless you're in a small group. See, there are two things you can't do apart from a small group. You cannot do it. You cannot do them in one hour in a worship center. You cannot experience true friendship. You cannot build relationships in this building. Look, nobody knows me better in the world than that woman right there. Nobody. And nobody knows her better in this world than I do. Nobody. And there's a real simple reason for that. We spend more time with each other than we spend with anyone else. Now, can you imagine, just imagine, four and a half decades ago, we get married. Ceremony's over, we're walking out the door of the church, and I said, by the way, I will only be seeing you on Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> now, <laughs> there may be some of you right now who are thinking, maybe we ought to try that, okay? But, 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 but listen, in all seriousness, that wouldn't be a marriage. That's a business arrangement. We wouldn't be husband and wife. We'd be not even roommates. Because the simple truth is, the closest and the best relationships we all have are those relationships that we invest the most time in. And that takes place in a private, relaxed, intimate setting. There are two things I need. There are two things you need. There are two things we need. You can get and give in a small group. You cannot get and give anywhere else. One is accountability. And I've got news for all of us, beginning with your pastor. We all need accountability. See, there's something, and by the way, I'm going to be very honest. This is why some of you don't want to be in a group. You don't want to be accountable to anybody. You don't like being accountable to anybody. Because there's something about being in a group that holds you accountable. For example, this is true for 99% of you. You came to church today. For 99% of you, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be more, I'll say 95%. For 95% of you, if you don't come back for the next 52 Sundays, I'll never know it. I will know it because I can't see most of you. I don't get to talk to most of you. So you, could, you, know, you can come or not come or whatever. There's just no accountability. You know, in fact, we've all known people that we kind of sat next to or sat in front of or sat behind, and they just quit coming to church. And finally, somebody will say, well, I wonder whatever happened to so-and-so. You don't do that very long in a group because you can't hide in a group. You can't run from a group. Everybody in my group knows that somebody in that group is not there for our small group, and we check on them. It's that accountability factor. But the other thing that you both give and get in a small group is encouragement. And I'm telling you, we all need encouragement. I don't mind telling you, one of the reasons why I love our small group is because of the encouragement that I get. I get to go, and when I go to my small group, I'm just me. I'm not Doc. I'm not Dr. Merritt. I'm not the pastor. I'm just me. 
And I get to share what I'm going through. I get to share my difficulties, and I've got them. I get to share my heartaches, and I've got some. I get to share my problems, and brother, do I have some? I get to share all of that. And I don't only get encouragement, I can give encouragement. See, this is the two great benefits of being in a small group. Number one, you hold each other accountable. But number two, you help each other through difficulties. And I'm telling you, the older you get, you'll learn this. We got some young kids down here. I hope they'll listen. When you, as you get older and you start getting to the end of the runway, you realize, you know what life is all about? You know what life is all about? It's all about relationships. <clears throat> life is not about money. It's not about stuff. Life's not about the house you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the jewelry you own. That's not what life's all about. At the end of the day, if I'm one of those guys that's kind of laying in my deathbed and, you know, everybody, you know it's, it's obvious I'm going to be with the Lord, I'll be honest with you. I don't care if I have my Georgia game tickets with me or my Georgia jersey with me or my Georgia helmet with me. I don't care if I've got my signed Herschel Walker picture with me. I want people that love me to be with me. I want people that care about me to be with me. And you realize as you get older, what really counts in life is relationships. And the best relationships are friendships. And there's no greater incubator for growing and cultivating those relationships and those friendships than a small group. We minister relationally <clears throat> through small groups. We mature spiritually through small groups. And then here's the last thing that happens. We'll be done. We multiply numerically through small groups. Now listen to what happened to these early Christians. All they did was this. All they did. Remember, the small group was not their idea. It wasn't. I guarantee you in that three years, you know what Jesus told those disciples. Now boys, what I've done for you, I want you to do for others. I mentor eight guys a year. Every year I get eight guys. I mentor eight guys a year. They have to sign a covenant. You know what's in that covenant? You have to promise you're going to mentor eight guys in your life. He said, same thing to them. Okay, guys, you know what I've done for you for three years? Now that's what I want you to do. So they just followed his example. Well, what did God do in response to that? Listen to this. <clears throat> they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now I want you to notice something. This church did not wait until Sunday to show up and to grow up. They were going every day of the week. People were being saved daily. Now, again, you might raise the question, well, can a church grow numerically without groups? Well, somewhat, but I want you to notice again, the Lord was adding to their number daily. They didn't wait until Sunday to talk to people about Jesus. They didn't wait until Sunday just to invite people to come to church. They were living out their faith in their homes. They were encouraging. They were sharing they were preaching. They were teaching daily in homes because these people would meet in homes. Sometimes they'd meet several days a week. Now, let me just stop. I kind of feel like, in a way, an attorney. I feel like, man, I'm trying to build the biggest case I know to get you involved in a small group. But just in case you still don't think it's a big deal for you to be in a group, it's, you're, you're still there. I, I'm not buying it. Can I remind you just one last thing? This is a theological statement, not a practical statement. Did you know that God has eternally existed in a group? Has that, has that thought ever occurred to you? God has existed eternally in a group. 
Now, it's hard to understand, and I don't totally understand it. You, you know, nobody ever can, really, because God's too big for to understand. There's only one God, only one God. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God. But that God, from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future, has always existed in three persons. There's always been God the Father. There's always been God the Son. There's always been God the Holy Spirit. So you know what Jesus did when he came to earth? He just did and modeled what he'd been modeling on earth, what he'd been doing for all eternity. So here's what I'm going to ask, and I'm, 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 I know I won't, but I'm going to try to get 100% participation. Here's what I'm going to ask every one of you to do. Unless, now let me just say, you do get an out if this is true. If this is true, then you, this message was not for you. Unless you can show me that you are the first Christian in the history of the church that can do life better alone than you can do it with others. Unless you can come show me why you're better off Lone Ranger Christianity than getting in a group. And, and by the way, if you really believe that, you don't need a group. You need therapy. Because if Jesus needed to be in a group, what does that tell you about us? So if you're not in a group, I'm going to ask you to do the following things. You guess what the first one is, right? Get into a group. I'm going to ask you to get into a group. Today, when you go out to the lobby, you're going to find tables and group leaders. They're going to be out there to my, to your, my, my right, to your left. Go to, just go to a table. Just find out what's out there, who's out there, where they meet. We will, but listen, our staff will bust it to help you find a group for you, whether it's on campus, off campus, doesn't matter. Number two, this is a bigger one, consider leading a group. I had dinner Friday night with a lady who teaches a, she teaches a Bible study in her home twice a week. She's got over 50 ladies coming to her home. She's coming to our church. She said, by the way, if you need somebody to teach a group, I said, do we ever? And so, Megan, where you're out there, Megan, I need to give you the name of this lady, okay, while well, I'm thinking about it. But if you say, you know, I, I, I don't know if I can lead a group or not, you can lead a group. Jack Campbell, where's Jack? Jack, you're in a group. All right, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I mean this as a compliment to you. Even a Florida Gator can lead a group. <laughs> really, seriously. It, it's, just not, it's just not that hard. If, it, look, if you can eat babies, you can lead a group, all right? Look, seriously. You say, well, I, I can't lead a group. We'll, we'll teach you. We've got curriculum. We've got videos. We've got DVDs. We've got all kinds of stuff. It is Really, you don't lead. You just facilitate. If you say, you know, I'm interested in doing that. I, I think I could do that. You connect with our executive, Mike Danson, one of our staff. They'll let you know how you can do that. Now, here's the third thing I'd like to ask some of you to do. Consider hosting a group in your home. My group meets in a home. We've been meeting on Zoom. We're going back to home. My group meets in a home. And you say, well, you know, that, that's really what I'd like to do. So I'm going to share with you. And, and by the way, if you say, well, are there people that live where I live? Yeah, we'll help you. Again, go out to the library. We'll help you. But here's what I want you to hear. I'd like for you, all of you to sign up for something. It won't take long, and you won't get bombarded with anything. I'd like to share with you, this is going to come from me. I would like to share with you three powerful examples over the next three days where being a part of a small group can absolutely, radically change your life. 
I'd like to, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this down. Go to crosspointchurch.com slash groups. Here's what's going to happen. Three days, you're going to get something from me, just a short little devotional thought, and just a reason why you ought to consider being in a group. So it's not going to cost you anything. It's free, and you still don't have to join a group. There's not going to be, nobody's going to bug you about anything, but I want you to go to crosspointchurch.com slash groups and just sign up. I've told young pastors this, the biggest mistake I made in my ministry, if I could do it all over again, I'd get in a small group. I used to think, well, I just can't do it because, you know, back in the day we had Sunday school and I'm always preaching Sunday school. I would have, what I would have done, I would have opened up, we've talked about it, we would have opened up our home, we'd have asked some people, hey, would you be willing to meet other, other than Sunday morning and I would be in a part in a small group. It's absolutely one of the best things we've ever done in our life. So let me just close with this one last practical illustration and we'll be done. Have you ever seen, if you haven't, you need to go to California sometime, have you ever seen a sequoia tree? Have you ever seen a sequoia tree? Here's a picture. We were out in California years ago when we were driving down uh, the, the coastal highway there. And we stopped off in, in one of these redwood forests. These things are massive. They are humongous. They are beautiful. And when you go there, you, you, you don't know it until you get there. These trees have been there hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But here's what you would not know. You would think a tree like this would have roots that would go 6, 8, 12, 15 feet into the ground. Do you know the deepest root a tree like that has? The deepest root is 4 feet deep. You go, how in the world could a tree that big with roots that shallow? I mean, one strong wind, they would blow over like dominoes. What is the secret? How have they stood the test of time and weather and wind and storms for hundreds and hundreds of years? Because if you had x-ray vision and you go under the ground, all those roots are intertwined. So that tree may look like it's standing apart from all the other trees. It's not. He's helping me stand up. He's helping me stand up. He's helping me stand up. She's helping me stand up. She's helping me. All these roots are intertwined. In other words, do you know why these trees have lasted for thousands and thousands of years? <laughs> They've been in a small group. Even a tree's got enough sense to say, man, I need somebody. I need to help somebody, and I need somebody helping me. They give each other support and stability and solidarity. So they say, bring it on. Let the storm hit. Let the wind blow. Let the rain fall. We're not going anywhere because we're in this together. Jesus died on a cross, came back from the grave so that people might be saved. And the way that salvation exploded in the early church was through small groups. So whether you're too proud to admit it or not, the truth of the matter is, yeah, this PhD, who would be considered a biblical scholar, needs you if you can't read a word of Greek. And you need me. And we need each other. Everybody ought to be in a small group. So go find one, go to one, show up at one, grow in one, and you'll discover what I did. 
you'll be glad you did. Would you pray with me right now with his bowed, with eyes closed? Just for a moment, let me just say a quick word because I don't want to make sure, I want to make sure you don't miss the forest for the trees, no pun intended. Before you get into a small group, I want to ask you this. Are you in the biggest group of all, God's family? You, you don't want a small group. Now, small, we, we, want, we want to have unsaved people in our small groups. We do. They're welcome. But primarily, you know what a small group is? It's just a little bitty family reunion of people in the family of God. So before you even think about getting in a small group, how about the big group? The Bible says to those who accepted Jesus Christ, he gave the right to become children of God, to become a part of the family of God. Here's my question. You die today. Are you in God's forever family? You die today. Is your home in heaven? Is God not just your creator, but your father? Would you like to be a part of God's family today? You may be a little boy, a little girl. You may be a teenager. You may be an adult. You may be old or young. But my question is very simple. Would you like to be a part of God's family today? Did you know God's ready to sign your adoption papers right now? And if, you would, if the answer to that question is yes, yes, I would, why don't you tell God right now? Why don't you pray something like this? Dear God, I want to have the right to call you my father. I want to become one of your children. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he came back from the grave. So I could become a part of your forever family. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I can't save myself. But I believe you died on the cross. I believe God raised you from the dead. And I believe you paid for all of my sins. So today, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I turn away from my sins. I trust you as my Savior. I surrender to you as my Lord. I accept your offer of adoption. I thank you for leading me to become a part of your family. Thank you for hearing my prayer. If you're in this room right now and you made that decision for Christ or you're watching somewhere even around the world online and you would say, I made that decision just now. I became a part of God's forever family. I want you to do something not just for me, but for you and for God's glory. I either want you to go on your computer right now or wherever you may, your iPad or your phone. I want you to go to a website. Go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Or to make it even easier, just text Jesus to 678-255-2566. You pray to receive Christ. Do it right now. You do it in this room. On your phone, iPad, whatever. Do it right now. Go to that website. Text that number. What will happen? We're going to give you next steps to take to really get involved in God's family. To grow spiritually. Mature spiritually. To give you the ability to minister to other people and to encourage other people, and be encouraged yourself. So I ask you always at the end of the service, who's your one? Who's that one person? By the way, maybe that one person won't come to church, but maybe they would come to your small group. You ever thought about that? Invite them. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for my small group. As I was going over my message this morning, Lord, the people in my small group, they're just like family to me and Teresa. Thank you for all they mean to us. Lord, 
I've done all I can do. I pray there would be so many of our people. I pray we would have more people this year in a small group as a percentage of people who come to this church than we have ever had before. And I pray they'll find the blessing and the sweetness and the encouragement that I have found as well. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.